0: The GRU deploys Indestroyer 2. Anonymous doxes three more Russian companies. CISO warns of an exploited firewall vulnerability. Medical robots vulnerabilities are remediated. A cyber civil defense effort in the U.S. Ben Yellen on newly passed cyber legislation. Our guest is Chase Snyder from ExtraHop to discuss their recent cyber confidence index. And good riddance to raid forums. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, April 12th, 2022. Sandworm, also known as Voodoo Bear, and in the org charts, Unit 74455 of Russia's GRU, has deployed Caddywiper destructive malware and an Indestroyer variant being called, simply, Indestroyer 2. ESET tweeted the results of its findings early this morning and provided additional details in a report also published today. They said ESET researchers collaborated with CERT-UA to analyze the attack against the Ukrainian energy company. The destructive actions were scheduled for April 8, 2022, But Artifacts suggests that the attack had been planned for at least two weeks. The attack used ICS-capable malware and regular disk wipers for Windows, Linux, and Solaris operating systems. We assess with high confidence that the attackers used a new version of the Indestroyer malware, which was used in 2016 to cut power in Ukraine. We assess with high confidence that the APT group Sandworm is responsible for this new attack. At first look, the incident seems an attempted repetition of the 2016 Russian cyber attacks against the Ukrainian grid that ESET mentioned in its report. CERT-UA offered a further description of the attack. It intended to use Indestroyer 2 against high-voltage electrical substations in a fashion tailored to the individual substations. Caddywiper was used against Windows systems, including automated workstations, and other destructive scripts, orc Shred, Solo Shred, and Awful Shred, were deployed against Linux systems. The Telegraph reports that Network Battalion 65, NB-65, has posted images it claims show that it succeeded in compromising servers at the Russian space agency Roscosmos. Roscosmos boss Dmitry Rogozin, lately much given to incandescent verbal sputtering in a westward direction, downplayed the effects of the attack and called NB-65 a bunch of scammers and petty swindlers. That may be, but it appears that NB-65 did obtain some access to Roscosmos networks and that the hacktivists or hacktivists deployed some of Conti's ransomware code therein. Hackreed says that Anonymous has hit three more Russian enterprises Aerogas, Forest, and Petrovsky Fort. Aerogas, which handles oil and gas production services, Forest, which handles logging, and Petrovsky Fort, which handles office space. The collective leaked roughly 437,000 emails belonging to the companies. Petrovsky Fort lost about 300,000 emails. About 244 gigabytes. Aerogas lost 145 gigabytes, and Forrest lost 37.7 gigabytes worth of information, including 375,000 emails. Petrovsky Fort and Aerogas are state owned. The material has been posted to the familiar Distributed Denial of Secrets site. Here's a study in disinformation relevant to those interested in cybersecurity and hybrid warfare because of the way we can expect to see it repeated and amplified in Russian-controlled or sympathizing online outlets. Long-suffering Russia is waging a good war, President Putin said in a speech this week. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency yesterday added eight vulnerabilities to its known exploited vulnerabilities catalog— Among them was the high-severity privilege escalation flaw in WatchGuard firewall appliances the GRU had exploited to build up its Cyclops Blink botnet, disrupted last week by the U.S. FBI. Bleeping Computer quotes WatchGuard on the effects of exploitation. WatchGuard Firebox and XTM appliances allow a remote attacker with unprivileged credentials to access the system with a privileged management session, via exposed management access. WatchGuard issued its own warning at the end of February. Scenario today announced its discovery of vulnerabilities in Athon tug-hospital robots that could allow attackers to circumvent security and remotely surveil and interact with patients, tamper with medication distribution, and disrupt day-to-day hospital operations. Scenario disclosed the bugs, collectively called JekyllBot 5, to the manufacturer under the CISA-coordinated vulnerability disclosure process, and the issues have now been remediated and patches are available. The Global Cyber Alliance reports that Craig Newmark Philanthropies has committed to donating more than $50 million total to support a broad coalition of organizations dedicated to educating and protecting Americans amid escalating cybersecurity threats. Craig Newmark, who is the Craig in Craigslist, characterizes the effort as a cyber civil defense initiative. It will focus on cyber education, cybersecurity career opportunities, development of cybersecurity tools for community protection, Usability and customer service for security tools and services, and championing equitable cybersecurity. And finally, Europol this morning announced the takedown of RAID forums, the large cybercriminal forum and market where techniques were discussed and tools and stolen data were traded. The forum's infrastructure was seized, and its administrator and two accomplices were arrested in Operation Tourniquet, This was a year-long international effort coordinated by Europol to support the separate investigations of law enforcement agencies in Portugal, Romania, Sweden, the United Kingdom, and the United States. Europol credits effective information sharing with enabling investigators to define the different roles the targets played within this marketplace, such as the administrator, the money launderers, the users in charge of stealing or uploading the data, and the buyers. So bravo, Europol. Congratulations on the collar. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Cyber defense firm ExtraHop recently released results from their 2022 Cyber Confidence Index, conducted by Wakefield Research, exploring how IT and security decision makers assess their security practices. Chase Snyder is Senior Product Marketing Manager
1: at ExtraHop. One of the big things, Dave, is that the disparity between confidence in the ability of cybersecurity teams or security operations teams to respond to threats versus their admission that their own cyber hygiene and the existence of old insecure protocols and unmanaged devices in their environment, there's a gap there. So many teams The I believe the Cyber Confidence Index indicated that 77% of teams believed that they were highly able to respond to and mitigate and prevent cybersecurity threats. But 64 of them said that half of their cybersecurity incidents were due to their own outdated protocols and their own outdated security posture. So there's a little bit of a gap there, and we were trying to understand where exactly that comes from. What do you
0: make of that? I mean, is, are, are people uh, fooling themselves? Or what, uh, what,
1: what do you suppose is causing the disconnect? I think something that's happening is that there's been a large focus on advanced threats and folks are really increasing their ability to detect and respond to threats. But not everyone has done the work to clean house and shore up the foundation of their environment. So when I say clean house and shore up their environment, what I mean is many organizations still have Large numbers of outdated and known-to-be-insecure protocols running in their network. 92% admitted that they still had SMBV1 or NTLM. These are old protocols that are low-hanging fruit for attackers. On average, these organizations also said that 29% of the devices in their environment aren't managed. So there's a large gap there. There's a blind spot, and that blind spot represents an attack surface for attackers. So the detection and response capabilities are there, but there are still these big attack surfaces that need to be cleaned up. And there's a big upside for companies that take the effort to go ahead and clean that up and shore up their foundations.
0: Is there recognition that this is something that they need to be working on, or is this a matter of them knowing that but taking it as part of their risk
1: calculation? That's a great question, Dave. I'm not totally certain whether or not Folks have fully internalized the idea that these older insecure protocols and unmanaged devices represent an enormous amount of risk for them. They may be incorporating it into their risk calculus, but the amount of risk is going up in a nonlinear way. We see supply chain attacks occurring, we see open source vulnerabilities coming out with enormous scale and the impact that they're having across thousands of organizations Millions and millions of attempts against vulnerabilities such as the log4shell vulnerability that was in the news quite recently and is still being dealt with. And the fact is that while in the past you may have been able to get away with leaving some insecure protocols or having a certain amount of devices in your environment that aren't managed, now that there are these large-scale advanced attacks, supply chain attacks, ransomware, or supply chain attacks being used to deliver ransomware, the risk that is represented by these outdated protocols and unmanaged devices has gone way up. And I think that organizations and security leaders are still adjusting their threat model or their risk model to incorporate that.
0: All right. Well, I mean, based on the information that you've gathered, what are the take-homes for you? What sort of uh, words of wisdom do you have for folks out there?
1: Dave, one of the things that I would say that everyone needs to be paying more attention to and using to their advantage to reduce their risk is get a better asset inventory. A quarterly update of your asset inventory is no longer enough. You need continuous visibility into the hardware and software in your environment. It's the number one control that is recommended in the CIS Top 18. And there's a reason for that, because managing your attack surface can give you acceleration in your ability to respond. If you're in a situation where you're asking yourself, How do we even find the devices with Log4J on them when the attacks are already making the news you're already behind? Asset inventory is an accelerator for both prevention, detection, and response for all types of cybersecurity attacks. And achieving that asset inventory is going to require greater cooperation between security teams and network teams and IT teams. And that is a foundational way to improve your security posture, take away that low-hanging fruit, and give yourself the advantage over these advanced attackers. That's Chase Snyder from ExtraHop.
0: Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security and also my co-host on the Caveat podcast. Hello, Ben. Hello, Dave. Uh, Here in our home state of Maryland, uh, my home state, your uh, adopted state. Mm -hmm. uh, You are a true Marylander. (laughs) That is true. They recently uh, wrapped up their legislative session, uh, and there were some bills regarding cybersecurity that
2: uh, you had a, a bit of a hand in And they were successful. Share with us what went down. They were. Uh, So this has been a multi-year effort. Uh, Maryland has suffered from cyber incidents. Most famously, there was a ransomware attack in Baltimore City in 2019. Mm. Uh, Stopped people from being able to record real estate transactions, pay water bills. uh, Cost the city an estimated $18 million. Uh, There was a ransomware attack on the Baltimore County school systems. A couple other attacks on localities. And then most recently there was a what we suspect was a ransomware attack on the Maryland Department of Health, Hmm. uh, which has had a terrible impact, including us being unable to access our COVID data dashboard during the height of the Omicron surge. So so, so it's a big problem here. A friend of our show, uh, she was on it a couple of years ago, is a state senator named uh, Katie Fry Hester, and she has made it her mission uh, during her term in the state senate to change cybersecurity policy in the state of Maryland. Uh, she's the co-chair of a Joint Committee on Cybersecurity and Biotechnology at the state legislature. Mm-hmm. And for the past several years, through collaborative efforts with various Maryland agencies, uh, she's put together bills to try and change our cybersecurity governance structure, the way our local units of government interact with state agencies on cybersecurity-related measures. And every year until this year, uh, we've come up a little bit short. hmm uh, so, in preparation for this year, this senator decided to commission a study. Uh, she's part of what's called the Maryland Cybersecurity Council, which is an advisory group at the uh, within our within our state government, a quasi government agency yeah. that develops cyber policy. So, she formed an ad hoc committee to do a study on how we can improve the cybersecurity posture within our state government and our units of local government, mm. and she. I have to say she made a terrible choice on the co-author of this study, which was some guy named Ben Yellen. Well, uh,
0: la-dee-da. From the University of Maryland uh, (laughs) Center for Health and Homeland Security.
2: Okay. (laughs) Uh, So we co-authored this study uh, with experts in the field. There were three sections on it, one on governance, one on uh, units of state government. We got help on that one from the state chief information security officer. And then uh, we did a survey of units of local government on what they want and what they need to improve their cybersecurity posture. And that Mm. led to the proposal of three pieces of legislation. Uh, One of the bills is a cybersecurity governance bill, which codifies practices that already exist uh, in terms of the state chief information security officer and the Office of Security Management, but those only existed via executive order. So now those are – assuming these bills are signed, that's going to be the law of the land in uh, the state of Maryland. Mm. Uh, It also introduces new measures to make sure that we are keeping up to date on the latest security practices, making sure that we are meeting minimum standards as established by NIST. Ah. So that's going to be done through a couple of different organizing entities uh, that will have oversight over uh, the Department of Information Technology in Maryland. And the Department of Information Technology will have more of a hand in having kind of a centralized enterprise of of cybersecurity across state agencies. Hmm. Uh, In terms of local governments, there's a unit within the Maryland Department of Emergency Management, the Cyber Preparedness Unit, which exists but wasn't codified into law. That, as part of these pieces of legislation, is now going to be codified. So these are a group of uh, individuals with our Department of uh, Emergency Management who are giving units of local government preparedness resources, updating them on the latest cyber threats, and making sure that our school systems, our our public health departments, and our county governments are getting all of the information and training resources they need to protect themselves against cyber attacks. Hmm. Um, That shop was only two guys. They were contractors. Uh, With these bills, it's going to be vastly expanded. Uh, We're going to have additional staff as part of this preparedness unit, including potentially regional coordinators. So Hmm. a guy in charge of going to Western Maryland and making sure those counties have everything they need. Mm -hmm. Um, We're also going to have a local cybersecurity support fund. Uh, So if units of local government here in Maryland need help uh, updating their networks, updating their systems, hiring contractors, doing trainings and exercises, there's going to be a pool of money available that they can apply for as long as they're meeting minimum uh, cybersecurity standards, uh, they will be able to have access to, to that money. Hmm. So it's a package of three bills. Uh, the Maryland State Legislature adjourned uh sine die. As we're recording this, it was last night. It's always a mad dash at the end of the session. Everybody wants to get their bills through. Uh, So there was some uncertainty as to— I saw you tweeting about it. You had your fingers crossed. Are we going to make it across the finish line? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And there are all sorts of delay tactics that uh, people try and use. If they don't want pieces of legislation to get passed, you can just kind of try and run out the clock. Mm -hmm. Um, The amount of work that's gone into this, uh, and without getting into too many of the details, there were basically 15 hours of hearings at the relevant Senate committee Hmm. to really perfect these bills, figure out which agencies have authority over which particular issues, uh, and to see it get across the finish line and hopefully to be signed into law by our our governor here is a a huge accomplishment. I do think it's going to have a significant impact on cybersecurity here in Maryland. Uh, I think it will leave our state agencies better prepared, part of a, a more cohesive cybersecurity enterprise, and I think we'll now have the type of resources available to our units of local government to prevent the types of things that have happened in the past, these ransomware attacks on uh, governments and school systems, uh, et cetera. So as a point of personal privilege, uh, I, I was glad to to work on these issues. And uh, it, it was kind of like watching a sporting event to see if, you know, your team can score, <laughs> can score a touchdown <laughs> uh, right. within right. two minutes. and And so just watching and seeing these bills... Uh, across the cross the finish line was personally exciting for me.
0: Yeah, and perhaps uh, a template for uh, other states to follow. I sure hope so. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the Startup Studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Liz Irvin, Elliot Heltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp,